very excited to introduce today's guest with you. She is pretty phenomenal. I have just been reading her bio again, and this woman has done a lot in the short time that she has been on this planet, not to mention the short time that she's been living in Australia, which has only been a decade. But in that time, she has built a seven-figure IT recruitment company with her best friend, Pam. It's CH Talent Solutions. And most recently, they have taken on a very cool project, which is the Sisterhood Club. And I feel like any creatives listening to this, any artists listening to this, or any musicians, anyone that has a creative skill that might be able to be integrated with this whole digital web 3.0 world through nfts and do not fear we dive into the acronym so if i mention any acronyms in this intro and you're going i don't know what she's talking about do not worry i get georgie to go back to basics because this is still a very new world for me as well but i'm very interested in this i'm very excited in the potential and the possibilities i was reading about a week ago about the art industry and what's happened especially over the last couple of years they call it the democratization of the art world because if you're an artist and you're looking to sell your work for a substantial amount of money then they're often picked up by cure uh, by collectors or curators and galleries and what an artist ends up with down the line even if they might sell their paintings for a lot of money but there can be a lot of work a to get to that point and b there's just a very exclusive element to that whole world and the way that it runs that can sometimes disadvantage some artists and we talk a little bit about this so this whole world of nfts and this digital art world is actually very exciting from the artist's perspective because their potential for what they can earn and control from their end is is very exciting. There is a lot of power for the artists. And so I think you're going to see a real shift over the coming years in, in terms of how art is bought and sold. So without further ado, we're going to get on with the episode and I'm excited to introduce you to Georgie Hubbard. Welcome to the True To You podcast, your go-to show for practical wisdom to build a meaningful, creative small business. You'll find content on marketing, mindset, and tons of experts who want to help you grow a thriving small business that you love. My guests are exceptionally creative women building businesses from their zone of genius, all while balancing many other roles in their life. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh. Let's do this. What was really interesting was when Georgie reached out to me to organize an interview and be on the True To You podcast is that there's two things that Georgie's done amazing well. She has built a incredible business in IT recruitment, but then recently has launched this NFT project. And so I was like, Awesome. This is a double whammy because not only do we get to talk the business side and how she's built her business and her incredible story, but then we also get to dive into this whole world of Web3 and NFTs, which is something that I'm curious about. I wouldn't say I've dived in and done all the research and I'm it's something I want to do, but I'm very, very interested in it and interested in it mainly because in our coaching program, Creator Club, that I run with my husband, we have really amazing creative people in that. DJ, we've got a couple of artists, we have graphic designers. So we have all sorts of people that would be very much interested in how NFTs work and, you know, it might be a project that they want to take on board themselves. So thank you so much, Georgie, for joining me today. It's really good to be here. Thanks for having me. 
And your little doggy, what's your little <laughs> pup's name? Yeah, Ted has decided to join me for the podcast today. So uh, this is Ted, everyone. He's a mini cavoodle. And uh, as you can see, he uh, he loves cuddles. So yeah. he's just going to sit here hopefully and just be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. My dog loves to interrupt a podcast. I think they, they always know when you're doing something yeah. exciting or they're like, Mom, you're talking to someone else. Why aren't you giving me attention? Yeah. 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 Always. <laughs> okay. So let's rewind the clock a little bit. And before we get into the Sisterhood Club, which is your NFT project, let's talk about your story um, before we even get into like how you created your business as well. I remember reading when I was doing some research for this that you actually left school at 16 and you didn't grow up in Australia I'm picking the accent Mm -hmm. neither did I so this is fun (laughs) (laughs) we've got some some um expats on the show um tell me take me back to Mm -hmm. to the school days and Mm -hmm. why you decided to leave and I know you've got some interesting thoughts on school, which I share as well. Um, I can I can understand where you're coming from there. So, yeah, what happened after that decision was made? Yeah, thank you. So I guess looking back at that younger Georgie, the one thing I would say I have, or the, the one gift I guess I would say I've always had is this ability to trust my intuition. And at 16, I just decided that I was sort of done with school. I I never enjoyed school. I found it very controlling. I didn't really understand why I was sitting in mathematics, learning algebra, uh, when I knew that I didn't ever want to use that in my life. And I just remember sitting there thinking, there's more to life than just getting a, a piece of paper for an education. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm very, I think education is very important. But for me, that type of environment didn't suit me, didn't suit my type of, I guess, the way I learn, right? So at 16, the one thing I knew I definitely wanted to do was travel. I wanted to see the world. So I sat down and told my parents, look, you know, I don't want to stay on at school. And they said, well, you need to go and do something. So I decided to go and get a trade, a trade that I could take anywhere because I'm from the UK. I'm sure your listeners have picked up my accent. And I knew I wanted to go abroad. I thought the UK was great, but I just knew there was this big wide world out there and I was dying to explore it. So I went to college um, in Oxford for a couple of years and I studied um, skin therapy, massage, just anything that I could take abroad, like a well-known um, I guess, course and accreditation that would be recognized globally. So I did that for two years and then I went to work in Greece. I got a job in Greece running a spa uh, and that was phenomenal. So I worked in Greece for a year. And what that taught me from that travel at that young age, as I was 19 at the time Mm. leaving home, was how to stand on my own two feet, how to just get by, I guess, you know, not having anyone to sort of run back to. So if I got myself in a situation, I had to get myself out of it. It also gave me this ability to make friends and meet people from all walks of life and really opened up my eyes. So from um, Greece, I went to live in France for a couple of years and that was amazing. I got a job again running a spa in the French Alps. So amazing experience. I learned how to ski, which was amazing. But these moments shaped me. And then after that, for a few years of traveling, doing some seasons, I went back to the UK and I thought, hmm, I'm not sure if this is for me. It was dark at four o'clock. It was terrible weather. And I just thought, nah, I, 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 UK is not for me. So I got a year's working visa and flew to Australia on my own. And that was quite a daunting experience because I think for the first time in my life, I thought, have I bitten off more than I can chew? Arrived in Australia, I knew nobody um, on my own, the other side of the world from friends and family. And I remember staying in this hostel and literally just crying because I just felt so alone. But I don't know, again, intuition, I said, you've got this, you're supposed to be here, this is the right move for you. So that sort of led me into this place where I knew I wanted to do something different, but I didn't know what that thing was. So I quickly got a job in um, as, as a therapist again, because again, a qualification I could use anywhere, but I knew I didn't want to stay in that industry forever. I knew it would take me as far as it was meant to take me. So I saw a job advertising recruitment um, for an Australian company and, you know, saying, oh, looking for, you know, new recruitment consultant, sales experience. And I thought, do you know what? Apply. And it was a tech recruitment job. And I knew nothing about recruitment, nothing about technology. But again, 
intuition, trust in myself, back myself, thought, you know what, give it a go. So I rocked up for the interview with uh, 10 other men. <laughs> I was the only female there. And I thought, oh, okay, uh, this is going to be interesting. But because of my travel experience, because of, I guess, that confidence to be able to just meet people, I could hold my own. And I went in there just with that self-belief to be like, I've got this. And uh, they gave me the job with no experience. And um, I was on a visa at the time, a working holiday visa. They sponsored me. And uh, that was my first taste in recruitment. And then I, in recruitment, met my now business partner, Pam. And after working together for six years, we decided to start our own recruitment company seat solutions we've now had that for four years um and that kind of takes me up to present day and i'll stop there because uh i could go on but that's kind of i guess how i navigated how i got to australia how i got into recruitment and started my first business seat solutions wow that's very it's really cool to hear that because i think you know a lot of people think that whatever they finish school with in terms of their studies and then go to university, that that's going to be it forever. But I love how you were incredibly resourceful. Maybe you look back now, uh, I'm not sure how old you are now, but maybe you look back and you go, okay, well, I was probably just a little bit young and naive and, mm. and crazy as well and just thought, what yeah. the hell? And I, I love that too because I think we also lose a bit of that, don't we, as we get, mm. as we get older, that um, like risk taker kind mm. of mentality. And it definitely served you well and it meant that you, like you said, you relied more on that intuitive sense than your head to say, you know, uh, all the pros and cons stacking up and which I feel like we go into a lot of early adult life Mm -hmm. using that very, um, I don't know how you call it, like very strategic way of making decisions, you know, Mm -hmm. and and sometimes that serves us to a certain point and then sometimes we've just got to listen to our heart, we've got to listen Mm -hmm. to our intuition. 100%. Yeah. And that's it. I remember rocking up in Melbourne with a rucksack and uh, there was a part of me that thought, what am I doing? I've just left, you know, all my friends and family and I didn't have much money in my bank account. And I think it was about a hundred bucks cash I had. And, you know, I thought, right, okay, game on, let's do this. But you're right. If I had stopped to think about all the things that could go wrong and let fear define me, I never would have got on that plane. I never would have left my family. And I think that fear is something that holds so many people back. But I've always had this thing where I fear regret more than anything else. And I think to myself, nothing's permanent. I always think worst case, best case, likely case. And I just think, well, what is the worst case? You do something, you don't like it, you can go back. You know, it's, it, it, nothing, nothing's as bad as what we make out. We always have this tendency, well, I know, you know, I have in the past and in certain situations to be like, what's the worst thing that could happen? You just zone in on that, but mm. you don't maybe think about what could go right. What could all the amazing things come from that experience? So that's always where I've tried to have that mentality and not think about it from such an analytical way and think, well, life's for, life's for living, life's for experiences. And I just want to have as many of them as possible. So that's kind of my thought process, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate landing in a new country I came from New Zealand at 19 and didn't know anyone and even though it's just a relative jump across the ditch Mm -hmm. (laughs) type of thing it's not very far but still I I do remember what that was like and so I really appreciate you sharing that part of your story as well and I think those moments also give you an edge as you go through your career as well you kind of you're not sheltered by the protection of family anymore or mm-hmm. by your little hometown where you grow up, grew up or city where you grew up and you knew everyone. It's like suddenly you don't know anyone and that can actually be a real advantage, I think. Mm-hmm. And I see actually, you know, what a lot of people that go into business, yes, contacts and having a network is really important but I often find that they've had an interesting backstory like that or they've put themselves on the line at some point in their life Mm -hmm. and so it's really interesting to hear you talk about that as part of your story so 
early days of business, it's you and your best friend, Pam, and you work together, which was awesome. I imagine though, going out on your own, could you bring clients? Like what was, what was starting out? Like what was day zero like? And maybe just talk us through the first couple of years of starting that business. You're now six four years in six years in yeah yeah four years in and a a team of uh there's there's eight of us now so oh my goodness uh where where, where to start well I'm smiling but at the time it was probably one of the most stressful uh just situations in my life so yes Pam and I we worked together in a recruitment company and um I I left and uh and then they the recruitment company work we worked for went on to um the ASICs and basically found Pam and I as directors and fired Pam um, and didn't pay us out. We were, you know, meant to be taking some commission and uh, they didn't give us our salaries. They didn't give us uh, any money. So we literally left with nothing after four years of working for them as well, which I was really disappointed about. But anyway, so that was really bad. So we literally started a business with nothing um, in the bank, no runway. And Pam and I, honestly, we just hustled we absolutely worked so hard seven days a week 12 hour days um at the time i i just bought an apartment in melbourne and uh, i was panicking about paying my mortgage so i had flatmates live with us for six months just to get, keep cover our bills and we just did whatever it took and we 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 managed in the first six weeks to make a deal uh, so basically we had to do bring on all new clients because we had restrictions in place for business so we mm. couldn't go to our clients and that was for six months so we had to build a business completely from scratch and I look back at that time now with such fond memories because yes we worked hard but we laughed every single day I do not recall a time when Pam and I didn't get a fit of giggles it's probably nervous tension or stress and we were just like we'll just laugh about this but we literally lived on instant coffee uh it was long days long long hours long nights but it really was such a great experience and I think as well that entrepreneurship and building a business can be very lonely so I am very grateful that I have got not only an incredible co-founder but an incredible best friend because we've always got each other's backs we always are there for one another and there were times because Pam had just given she had a young girl as well so she was a mum so she was trying to juggle both and there were times where she was late for meetings and you know times where she'd come in and burst out into tears because it'd been a really stressful morning with her daughter and there was a lot going on at that time in our lives but I think we had each other's backs. We had a plan each day. I think that's really key when, you, when you're starting a business. Okay, what are we doing today? What are the key outcomes we want to have? And we just hustled and worked hard and just, you know, stayed in our lane, didn't notice. Like if, if we'd stopped to think about all the competition, all the other recruitment agencies out there, we, we never would have got started, but we just went for it. We just got our heads down, focus on what we need to get done every day and and build the business and four years on now it's in a really great place we've got you know a fantastic client base we've got a wonderful team and I'm really proud of what we've created and um, I think one thing about the recruitment industry is it's very cutthroat it's Mm -hmm. very KPI'd it's very um, you know sort of that sort of focus on, on, on sales and the business that we've fostered and grown is our our team isn't KPI'd they're they're basically you know they're they're outcome driven but we've got a beautiful culture it's not about you know getting the deal done it's it's not about just sales it's about what kind of experience are we giving our clients and our candidates as well so I'm really proud of where that business is but you know again people always see the top of the iceberg right they don't see the seven days, the 12 hour days, the, you know, panicking about if you're going to be able to afford your, your bills, you know, in the first, you know, six months, year, it takes years for some people to get a business off the ground. But the advantage that Pam and I had is that we knew the recruitment industry inside out. So we knew what we need to do to get that business off the ground. So I think that, I guess, a bit of advice for anyone thinking about starting their own business or going out on their own is that maybe the first business doesn't need to be something that you're wildly passionate about, right? Maybe it's something that you're good at. Maybe it's something that you know, um, just to get your foot in the game of entrepreneurship, because now Say It Solutions is our vehicle that allows us to go off and explore 
the Web3, explore NFTs because we've built a business that is profitable, that earns us money. So now we can be like, okay, cool. That's that's now a stable business. Now we can go and explore other exciting things and not have to worry about the stress of making money. So I think that's a really important thing to stress because I think everyone wants to now chase their passion and, you know, and that's fantastic. But I think sometimes, you know, we also need to think, okay, but a business is only a business if it's profitable and making money. Otherwise you have a hobby. Mm. So that, that was kind of probably a, a big takeaway for me is that, you know, no recruitment is not my passion, but um, it's sometimes when you're starting a business and you're getting, you know, sort of exploring entrepreneurship, it's, it's important to sort of, yeah, maybe think about what else am I good at and, and where can I sort of make quick wins as well? Uh, that five or so minutes or however long you were talking there is absolute gold for someone that's also <laughs> a couple of years down the track running a business. And yeah, I think a couple of things in there. Look, there's there's no right way to do this, but I definitely agree. If you're trying to juggle a career switch and building a business off the back of that, that that's two separate things in itself. And I see a lot of people want to do that, like deal with the fact that you are changing careers and all of the emotional mm -hmm. stuff that goes with that and the doubt, let alone actually know how to run, <laughs> run a business. I'm not sure if you want to add anything there, but I, I think that is such good advice. And there's actually, you know what, like some of the best businesses that I see are where people take a very normal service, something that people need every day, and they really carve out their part of the market. And I imagine that's something that you have both done together is mm -hmm. gone, okay, we've seen everything that everyone else is doing. We've been inside another business. We know what works, what doesn't work, and this is our lane. And so you don't have to reinvent the wheel either. If there's something you're actually really good at, stick with that, but then put your own personality, your own flavor, mm -hmm. the way you deliver your service, do that in, in your way. And mm -hmm. you'll actually create something that you love more long-term because cash flow in the early days is the priority. hundred <laughs> percent. Mm -hmm. And I think as well, what, what, another thing I just want to mention as well is that also define what success looks like to you, right? Because I think a lot of people start businesses because they want more freedom and honestly, the first year or two of your business, you're not going to have much freedom, right? And, and but that, but that's also okay because if you only want to earn, you know, a, a few grand a month or you know a little bit of money here and there to, you know, just as a bit of a side hustle, then you might need to work, you know, 10, 20 hours a week. But this is the, this is really key because, and I'm saying this now in hindsight, when I first started Seat Solutions. I didn't sit down and get clear on what success looked like. And I felt at one point I was always striving and never arriving. It was always like the next milestone, the next goal to hit. Right. And it, it kind of almost, you get into that sort of hamster loop of just chasing the next big thing, chasing the next deal and not pausing to really appreciate how far you've come. And now I'm very clear on what success in business looks like to me. And it is, it is freedom. It is the ability to wake up and, and have my mornings, you know, go and go for a nice walk with my husband and my dog, grab a coffee and not have to rush back for a, you know, a nine o'clock meeting. So I think that's really important to understand why you want to start a business in the first place, because there's a lot, if it's just for the money, well, you know, you can sit on a really good salary. If it's, it's got to be something there, it's got to be about purpose. It's got to be about, you know, maybe giving back, it's got to be more than just about making money in, in my personal opinion, because it's quite a empty road to go down if that's your only driver and motivation. Mm, mm, yeah. And I think, I think you're so right. That freedom piece, it's actually, it's understanding success. And then if freedom is part of that success, you really need to, I, I'm learning this. You really need to learn to say no to a lot of stuff to design your life in a way that it actually gives you that freedom but 
sometimes we get on a trajectory, we start earning pretty good money and then we go, I don't want this to stop. And Mm -hmm. if I do stop, will it stop? (laughs) That's the other thing. And so we get into this, even when we're making good money, we might get into this fear cycle of, oh, well, what if this goes away? Like, what if I take, like you say, take a slow morning a couple of times Mm -hmm. a week? Does that mean that uh, I'm not doing enough or Mm -hmm. whatever it is? But I think, yeah, you get to that point where you realize, you know what, if I want to be doing this business, I'm not doing this to sell and exit, but I'm doing this because this is something that really fulfills me. And like you said, we'll talk in a second about some of the projects, but you want to look five 10, 20 years down the track and go, if I keep this up, I'm not going to be here. Yes. <laughs> that's been a, that's been a huge lesson for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. think it's a lot of people and I used to be the same busy for busy sake you can almost use yeah. it for a bit of a badge of honor. You know, I'm very busy. I'm really busy. It's like, what, what are you actually doing? You just sort of using it just to make yourself feel good. And, you know, I think and as well in the early days of when I started my business, when we started to employ people and delegate tasks Mm. you know and I found myself not needing to be on my email 24 7 and not needing to be you know every single client meeting I I started to feel guilty I was like am I not doing enough you know I'm not driving the business forward and and that was a real thing and I've really had to learn this is probably one of the key things as well to not tie my sense of worth into my work in my business to understand that I'm enough just just being me, just being Georgie, right? And all of this other stuff around me is just all external. I think we need as a society to really just learn to really value ourselves and to really come from this place of wholeness. And I am enough. I don't need to have a, you know, seven-figure business to feel successful or to feel whole or to feel good about myself. I can feel like that just by waking up in the morning and and breathing. Right. Because as soon as we need these external validations to make us feel good, we are setting ourselves up to fail because what happens during COVID, for example, if your business goes under, you know, how are you going to how is your mental health going to feel from that? Or, you know, then tomorrow, like you you lose a, an important client, you know, and you're going to feel really bad about that. So I think for me, my, my journey through business has also been learning to really not not sort of tie my whole sense of yeah worth into what I do that's really been key for me and a big learning. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that people listening to say they have got their own business are probably thinking, yeah, okay, I've, I get that. Cause I speak to a lot of women, especially, uh, who, who have really sort of wrapped themselves up in the business world and defined what success looks like. And it's all to do with the external versus how they feel every day. And mm-hmm. I think that's also a big factor of success is how do you feel every day? Do you feel excited to be up to be at getting out of bed in the morning? Do you feel happy? Or are you stressed? Are you anxious? Are you, you know, driving from fear? So that's a really key thing for me in business. And I think it's probably not something that gets talked about enough. Yeah, I, I agree. And and business really challenges that sense of self too, because so much of what you're doing comes back to you and it's mm-hmm. all on the line. And so then you think if this fails, then it means that I'm a failure, which is mm-hmm. exactly what you were just saying. And I think also in the early days, we we really don't know how it's going to, we have an idea and we can plan, but we don't always know how quickly things are going to grow. Like you say, you could land a great client or you could lose a client or you, you know, things can shift and change quite dramatically. And then, so you, you're always kind of thinking, uh, you know, I've got to be busy. I've got to have this certain identity. I've got to look this certain way. I've got to look more successful than I actually am. And I think, you know, social media probably has contributed a bit to that. I, I always find it interesting when I meet people in business that are starting businesses. I've worked for with a few women that, you know, are in their late 40s starting a business or I had a client that was in her 60s that was starting a, a business and she's an artist. And for her, like the whole social media thing was so new and wild to her, but yet so many of us have have just lived and breathed that world for so long that I think sometimes I look at people like that and go, that would actually be quite nice. 
Yeah. 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 Um, So, okay, let's talk about the fact that you've gotten to this place in your business where you're able to focus, you and Pam are able to focus on some very cool projects, one of which is Sisterhood Club. And I really wanted to give some time to this today because, as I said at the beginning, NFTs is a whole new world and Web3. And so, I guess let's start from the basics and you've probably reiterated these things no, a not thousand times. <laughs> but I think even just knowing what does NFT stand for, you know, like maybe you can go through some of the basics. What is Web3? Mm-hmm. What is an NFT? Yeah, perfect. Well, the first thing I want to say is that we are so early and everyone is still learning there's there's no experts in this space right now right like this this is a new in, a new space and people are learning day by day there's new information coming out there's so many things to read so th- the first thing i'll say is do do some research just spend some time googling um you know watching things that's that's what i did like um 8 months ago my husband kept on saying you need to look into NFTs. Like this is Gary V. <laughs> <Let's see. laughs> yeah. Talking about it. And yeah. everyone was talking at what well, yeah. when I was listening, it was like NFT this, web three that. And I was just and my husband kept on saying, What? Just look into it, look into it. And I just remember looking at um one of the board apes and going, Sorry, what? Someone's paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for this. What is going on? And and it kind of piqued my curiosity. So I was like, right, what is this whole Web3 world? So the way I like to think about it is it's basically a progression of the internet. So Web1 was just basically um, read-only. Web2 was read and write. Web3 is read, write, own. One NFT basically is, it stands for non-fungible token. And what that basically means is it can't be copied, it can't be replicated. And the reason this is, is because we can now, because of the blockchain, blockchain technology, prove ownership. So you brought up Gary there, Gary's project vFriends, right? So he basically created vFriends, which he basically said, if you buy my NFT, this is going to give you access to VCon, his conference for the next three years. So he sold it as a ticket, basically. So what you can do with NFTs is you can attach utility behind it right? So it acts almost like a a membership card or a ticket to a conference, or it could be some music, or it could just be some art. So thinking about it that way, it's, it's not just a JPEG that you can copy paste because you can't do that because we can prove ownership. So for example, at VCon, he could prove the people that owned AV friends because of the technology. Whereas, you know, beforehand, you could just, you know, sell your tickets, you know, whoever can turn up. But it's like, actually, we can now prove that you are part of this community because you own a friend. So it's it's the technology behind it that really excited me. Mm. And that's why I got interested in it, because I thought this is the future of membership. This is the future of anything, really. Like even like we've we recently purchased a house and going through all of that process of that faxing, signing, going to the bank, printing things off. I thought, oh my goodness, if this was on the blockchain, it could be like, right, Georgie Hubbard now owns this part of land. It is now immutable. It's on the blockchain. Here is, you know, here is your house contract as a form of an NFT. There you go. Right. So I think all of these industries are going to be disrupted and it's not going to happen straight away. I'm talking, this is probably like two, three, five years down the track, but it is coming. And what I encourage um, everyone to be is curious. And I think that now what's happening is that because it's new, because because it's the wild west out there, people are still learning. There's a lot of people being scammed. There's a lot of people that have bought into projects because of all the hype. And those projects have now gone to nothing because people were always going to jump on the hype train and be like, I'm going to scribble on this piece of paper, call it an NFT and someone's going to buy it. 
now times are changing. Now people are actually looking at into the founders. Are they credible? You know, what have they done? Can they grow a business? What is the utility attached to this NFT? What is their roadmap? What is their future plans? How are they monetizing past just this initial drop? And it's having a business approach to it now, not just I'm going to just throw out this artwork and people are going to buy it because it's an NFT. We've we've moved away from that, thank goodness. And what I say to people is we're not in a bear market, we're in a build market. So this is a really exciting opportunity for people who want to build something with real value to come in and really be very early in this space and actually think about what do I want to build? What kind of business do I want to create utilizing this technology? So I hope that kind of gives everyone a little bit of an overview of how I've understood it, my journey into it. Because like a lot of people, I was like, what on earth is all this entity rubbish, you know? And I couldn't understand it to start with. And then I did research and I started reading and understanding it. And I was like, okay, I'm excited because of the technology behind it. Mm. Great. Thank you so much because that's helped me and I'm sure that anyone that was curious about this episode is going to be thinking, okay, I know I, I'm in, I'm, I know what they're talking about. I can, I can continue listening. Okay. So two things really interest me from that. One is probably a little bit more, um, and I'm actually an, a, very much an optimist, but I think that uh, I'm an architect originally, and so I find this very interesting because you're playing with kind of these dual realities. You're playing with the web space, you're, but you're also playing with what you were talking about in terms of the utility side of it. I, it, Yeah, it's very interesting to me. So I guess I just wanted to make a comment on that utility piece that as someone who runs a business like a, we run a group coaching program that's really exciting because that can that can also add a very interesting element to this idea of community mm -hmm. and yes that community could exist online but I think it's the offline stuff is where people are really going to like you're seeing other festivals and things like that popping up where I think this is actually going to kind of rather than everything being pulled online, uh, people are going to be challenged to create these amazing immersive experiences, which I love because I love being with people. Mm -hmm. And for us, we coach mostly online. So the idea of that is very exciting. The other side of this though, that I'm very interested in, and, and you may just have a comment on this. You may not have, um, you know, coming from, from your side of it, but I guess, you know, people like architects that we work with and um, or interior designers or artists that create pieces of art, physical pieces of art that you can touch, houses that you can live in and, you know, all of that, they're, I guess, excited, but they're also unsure by it because mm -hmm. it's like, well, what is this going to mean for our industry? And, you know, mm -hmm. um, so I guess I don't have a specific question on that other than, you know, have you had people say that to you, like kind of skeptical artists that are like, nah, that's not for me because I, you know, really want to create paintings or sculptures mm -hmm. or things that people can touch and feel. Mm -hmm. And what would you, yeah, what would you say to someone like that that's maybe a bit unsure? Yeah, absolutely. Again, look into it. Do, mm. do some research. Find out if there's people in your industry doing it because everyone's sort of like navigating, exploring this space. But I think what it sort of excites me from an artist's point of view is you can now attach because of the technology royalties mm, right so as yes. an artist when you sold your art you sold it once and that was it right but if because of the power of blockchain technology you can actually write in the smart contract to say every time this piece of art is sold you get a cut of that mm. right so that's something to really consider so you could almost create your physical piece of art but you could also sell it as an nft Right. So I'll give you an example. We um, interviewed um, Mavion 
and she's in fashion, but I'm just using this as an example. So she's released her jewelry as an NFT. So you would mint a Mavion woman um, piece of art, but on the, the utility is a physical piece of jewelry. So that's an example there of, so if you buy into that project, you're getting a physical piece of fashion, but you're also owning that NFT. And then if you wanted to resell that, that, then obviously you can make money on the back end, potentially if the project goes up. So there's all of these use cases. And that's the thing, we're still figuring all of this out, right? This isn't, this is so new to people. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I have all of the answers and all the use cases that are going to come because I don't, we don't know what's around the corner, but I would say, don't dismiss it. Don't be afraid of it. Look into research, other projects, find out who's doing something very similar in your industry and be curious because as an artist, this is your chance to actually take back control of Mm. your own work and I think that's super empowering for the artists, like the artists we've used to design the sisters for our project. She's getting royalties every single time that her art is resold. Mm. How amazing is that? So she just gets repeat, you know, money in her pocket, basically every time there's a transaction and a sister sold. And we are really putting her in the spotlight because she's phenomenal. So it's, I think it's a really exciting time for artists. And I think that what will what will happen is there'll be, other platforms in web three similar to maybe like your instagrams and your facebook's but instead of the top people getting all the money it will be the creator economy and it'll be the creators and the artists that will actually make money from their content and not going to the powers that be and that's been the issue in web two is that there's been a handful of companies that are profiting without profiting and not the creators that are actually help the reason why people go to those platforms in the first place so i think it's a really exciting exciting time for artists and i'll give you one other example if you're say a, a musician you know imagine if beyonce had you know when she was starting out she released you know her first album or her first concert as a nft and you held on to your beyonce album or concert right that would be worth a lot of money now so mm. this is this is another reason as well. So if you've got some fans and you are an artist, you could release an, an NFT collection to your fans and they could be your super fans in the early days. And as you grow, they can basically keep on supporting you, but get royalties. Mm. So as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, they benefit. You benefit because they've given you some money to kind of help you get started. So it, this is the exciting thing about it is there's so many ways to use this and we just need to get creative. We just need to think about, you know, put, sit down as a business owner and think, okay, how can I use this technology? What can I do? How can I bring this into my business? And then maybe seek some help. There's plenty of mentors out there and people that really want to help people get started. So again, do, do, do your own research, have a think about how you could use it in your own business. But it is exciting. It's a really exciting mm, time to, mm. to be in this space. Definitely what you touched on there, I know is going to strike a chord with a lot of the artists and the creatives because I read an article recently on Artsy that was talking about the democratization of the art world now away from this secret collector world where paintings were turned over and turned over and turned over and it was the collectors that were banking the money and how yeah all sorts of Mm -hmm. really I wouldn't say dodgy but things that definitely did not help the artists and actually in the long run could bring the artist's career down which is very very interesting and I had Mm -hmm. I had absolutely no idea um so I think people listening are going to be curious like you say Mm -hmm. and that's that's really the starting point so you and Pam were definitely curious about this I'm interested to know what sparked the idea to take on this project when you're already running a successful business and you're already probably busy enough but there's something inside of you guys that must have said uh, we've got to we've got to do something about this Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I think when you are I guess a bit more of a a natural entrepreneur I guess I've always been interested in business I've always been excited by merging trends you don't you don't like coasting 
You don't mm. like just being like, oh, I'm safe now. Everything's tick- ticking along nicely and just like put my feet up and this will be me till, till I retire, which I won't ever retire. But my point being is that I was ready to get that feeling of excitement again. I think I love, I thrive on that. I really do. I thrive on this getting creative and new ideas. So what what really I think drove Pam and I is that having a tech recruitment company for the last four years and working in technology for the past eight years, we've seen firsthand that women in particular get left out of technology. And it is where the money is. It is where, you know, all of the creation happens. It is the future. And we saw that Web2 was very male dominated. And like I said, only dominated by a handful of companies. And we wanted to basically shape the, the future. So it's like, okay, cool. Well, if Web3 is coming, we want to see at the table. How can we encourage more women into this space? Because we cannot be what we cannot see. And we really wanted to basically be, you know, take, just be, go into this industry and, and, and pull other women in to be like, right, come on, like, be curious, get into this. So that was one of the reasons that we wanted to explore this this world and have a seat at the table and be a part of this. The second thing is, is that Pam and I have always been extremely passionate about personal development, personal education. You know, like I said, left school when I was 16, but it's because it wasn't teaching me much life skills. I've always been really interested in like, okay, we're taught algebra in school, but why don't we talk about finances, investing? Uh, why don't we talk about, you know, how to manage stress in a better way why don't we talk about networking and relationships so I wanted to create something that was going to really offer value and have that real sense of community of women coming together that all want to better themselves that want to learn that want to grow so that was kind of the idea of a sisterhood um, and to create a sisterhood school so what we've created is our sister nfts are going to be basically granting our community access to unlocking the sisterhood school so instead of going to a platform and typing in name and password you're basically going to connect your wallet which you need to buy an nft so basically a wallet is one of the wallet is metamask so you basically go on and buy some crypto so for in our in this example ethereum Mm. and you're basically once you've opened a wallet you'll be able to connect your wallet to the sisterhood school and it will be able to say oh yep this person owns a sister connect access into the school and what we've done is we've partnered with some amazing females who have got courses um, on money and investing personal branding social media conscious parenting self-love confidence we've got yoga we've got pilates we've got fitness we've got meditation so these are all the things the reason it's called sister school is that we wish that we had been taught in school so that's the utility Um, that we wanted to attach to our NFT. And beyond that, we're going to be running sisterhood social. So in real life events uh, where we're going to get incredible women um, and men um, panels in place to really start educating people on Web3, the future technology, what to expect, how to get involved in it. So that's the whole idea. But we really just want to offer as much value as possible and create a community where we really want to be a part of as well. It's safe. It's not, you know, it's not about putting anyone down. It's about collaborating. And that's the one thing I've noticed about Web3 is that from being in this space for, you know, eight months now, the the amount of people I've met that have been, let me introduce you to so-and-so or let's collaborate on this or have you thought about doing this together? It's such a great, I've not, I've not experienced it before. You know, every, especially in recruitment, like, oh my goodness, it's so competitive you know, don't speak to that person or don't give your clients away. But it because it is, it's kind of like almost dog eat dog. Whereas in Web3, it feels so different. It feels very supportive, very collaborative. So that is a sisterhood. We, you know, we're, we're really sort of appealing to, I think, you know, women and and men and, and non-binary people who want to better themselves, want to learn about business, you know, but want, want to just build more confidence but have no what no idea where to begin that's what the sisterhood school is and that's what the that's the value it's going to provide so yeah we're super excited we're we're launching on the 
23rd of September, so quite soon. And um, we've, we're just going to do a limited drop initially of 1111 because we just sort of want to do a bit of a, I guess, keep it nice and, and contained to begin with. We don't want to just go out to loads of people. We just want just to create a small community and really build from there. So yeah, we're, we're super excited to to do this. And yeah, the support we've had so far has been amazing. So we're just super grateful for that. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for anyone that's willing to get into the conversation in the early days when, like you have said right from the beginning, not everything's figured out. Not everybody knows what the future is going to look like. Things are moving very fast. You've got the crypto market also alongside it is is forever changing. And so some people would be totally deterred by it, but you've both thrown yourself into it and said, why not? Like, yeah. <laughs> why not? This is, there's no better time. So I, I really commend you for that. And it's so great to hear that as well. There's people that are willing to help you. I think when you are in the early days too, and everybody's in that same situation, then there's definitely that kind of mindset mm-hmm. around for for the most part. Um, like you said, there's there's been some bad experiences and mm-hmm. I, I think people will want to be part of what you're creating. I, not, And I don't say this because they aren't about money because they probably would like to think that they're making a good investment. Everybody wants to think that too. And that's exciting that together Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're building this, this wealth as a community, Mm -hmm. but also I think just the, the other side of it that they're going to be getting what they're going to be part of Mm -hmm. is meaning that it's not just this transaction, like you say, where people are, it's it's like an, an auction house kind of thing where people are just trying to get the best price and sell Mm. and buy and all that. But there's this whole other side to it. And I think it will mean that people will stick around or they'll want to be part of it. I feel like, how do you feel about that long-term and in terms of keeping it going and Mm -hmm. keeping the momentum going? Not, Mm -hmm. Not from the industry. Obviously, this is going to piggyback off the energy generally around Web3, but in terms of what you're embarking on, is it is it scary? Are you excited? Are you thinking, oh, what's this going to look like in one year, two years? Yeah, I think it's really, it's kind of challenging in Web3 to have like a 10-year plan, Yeah, right? Because you just don't know what the technology is going to be capable of. But one, one thing that excites me that I, I forgot to mention before is that I think with the personal development space, if you've ever done an online course or something, right? You buy the online course and then once you've completed it, that's it. You've done the course, what's next for you, right? But because of the ability to sell your NFT on the secondary market, what we sort of want to encourage our community to think is that if you decided, and hopefully you don't, but you wanted to leave the sisterhood, you could sell the NFT on the secondary market like an open sea and actually get your money back for the NFT or potentially, ah, hopefully, yeah, sell it for more. Of course, and, yeah. and, and this is the whole reason why we've kept it small because we want to build up that scarcity, right? Because, you know, initially there's just one, 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 one. And once they're sold, it's like the only way then to access the school is to buy an NFT on the secondary market, right? So that's that's really key that I want people to sort of understand. But in terms of like long-term plan, like, I think once we've sold out the initial one, one, ones, then it's like the real work begins because then it's like, okay, now you've got some equity in your business. What are you going to do next? And what I would really like to do is, is think about this in terms of long-term, but the recruitment piece and our knowledge in Mm. that space there. So we're going to have a community of women and I really want to educate those women on how to really get ahead in life, right? And one of those industries that I'd like women to really have more of a say in is tech. So what we are wanting to do eventually is build out some accreditations and some courses, which obviously you could get accreditation then on the blockchain. So we would want to build out, say, a coding course, just basic one-on-one coding, teaching women to code, right? And then because we've got the recruitment piece on the back end, 
we would then from a B2B perspective, be able to go to our clients and be like, hey, client, we've got a community of women that are interested in being skilled up in this, this and this would be like community management, because that's going to be a really big thing in Web3. Basically thinking like, what are the skills going to be needed in the future? And they're all around community management. They're all around technology and making sure those women get access to that and are able to upskill. Because I was doing a podcast the other day and the most... Um, the issue with homelessness in, in Australia right now is terrible. Like half a million women um, from the age of 40 to 50 are actually homeless. And that's because they have worked part-time jobs. They, they've looked after their children. They don't have enough superannuation, right? So we need to really think about what are we doing for for women um, and how are they going to train up? Because not everyone's got time to go to university to do a course, right? Or get a get a get a degree. So how can we help people? How can we get people into well-paid jobs so they can support themselves and their family? And because of this, this what we've seen in recruitment and seeing, you know, that the salaries are going absolutely crazy. I want that to be going to, you know, women as well as men. I want women to be on six figures, you know, and doing something in technology, but you don't necessarily have to be a software developer. You could be a community manager. That's going to be a very much needed role um, as we keep on evolving in this web three space. So I think in terms to answer your question, in terms of like how we're going to build this, I foresee us bringing our knowledge and recruitment into this and helping women really learn some fantastic skills and then help them get jobs on the back end from our knowledge and we'll do some career coaching around that but ultimately we want to create a real hub of incredible women incredible mentors and the school is basically you know that's step one you go in you learn your life skills you learn how to meditate you learn how to write a good resume you learn how to be resilient you learn how to understand your mental well-being you learn how to build your personal brand because that's super important right to really build your brand because in the future why would I hire if I if I'm a recruiter and I'm the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look at your resume. Yep, great. And then I'm going to search for you on LinkedIn. How does your LinkedIn profile look? What like what are you interested in? Like everybody Bastard. is yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's a person. Everyone has a personal brand. Right. What are you putting out on online? So it's just educating people because people don't think like that. But you don't know what you don't know, right? So I think part of this the sisterhood is coming together as a community right who's got this skill can you offer this who can who can bring this in and building this incredible collaboration of of women who generally want to help one another they've got each other's backs and that's what I want to see that's how I want to build this but you know we there's so many different ways that you can Mm. build this that's exciting and also the other thing we're going to be led by the community So a part of our roadmap as well is that we do want to create a community fund and, you know, we want to be able to put into the community like, right, we're thinking about investing in some businesses, you know, who in this community has a business, tell me about it, pitch it to me, you know, and then we vote as the community. It's like basically creating a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization Mm. to have voting rights within the community to be like, put your hand up if you want to invest in this business and support this this cause or you know there's some DAOs that have been created to support um women rights with the whole abortion piece you know there's a group of women that have come together to really support that and raise money for that so these are just some of the the incredible things that we can do in this web3 space but i'm i'm seeing like never before people come together that really want to help one another that are curious and it's all about just creating that safe space for everyone's voice to be heard not just I'm the founder of this business I do what I want don't care about you it's like no you've invested into the sisterhood you hold a sister therefore I want to hear what you have to say your voice your voice matters in this community in this business it's basically like buying shares in a business but instead Mm. of just being a oh I hold this share no, you've actually hold a say in this as well of the direction. So I also don't want to have it all mapped out because I think that that's very a web two business model, whereas a web three business model is community led as opposed to just two people at the top dictating the direction. Mm. Oh, super, super interesting. I feel like 
I have a thousand questions and we could talk all day. And it's very, very exciting. Very, yeah. very exciting. My last question to you, because I know that, again, a lot of the creatives out there will be tuning into this because they're thinking of the opportunities for them as artists, designers, architects, whatever their medium is, DJs. And I know that you have probably been, well, I'm making an assumption here. Maybe you can answer this for me, but it seems like you were very intentional with the artists that you chose to collaborate with and not being artists yourselves, finding someone that was a match, finding someone that was a match in terms of the whole philosophy, the brand, like talk to me a little a little bit about how you went about finding your artist, Angela, and you'll have to pronounce her surname for me. Um, but what did that look like? And was it an instant match or was it something that you really had to come to her and say, this is what we want to create and find making sure that you were both on the same page with that? Yeah, that's such a good question. So mm. I had a lot of, uh, zoom calls before okay. I met Angela um this is when my recruitment yeah just hire a recruit a came in. yeah um so you know I did the standard thing where you know you go and have a look on you know someone said to me oh you should just go on Fiverr and I was like Mm. really um and I just had a, a very five second brief look at that and went no that's that's not what I want to do here um and look there's projects out there do that and there's nothing wrong with that right because at the end of the day if you just want to create something just on the front end then you go for it right you could just yeah. create it, whatever right I'm not saying that's not an option it absolutely could be but for, for us I I wanted to create I wanted the art to be beautiful I wanted women to be able to look at the the art and really feel something you know maybe see themselves in the art so I went on LinkedIn and I literally typed into the search bar designer NFTs just like search and just see who came up and I was looking through a lot because she had a she had done uh, a project before I loved the way she drew women and I could see that she was so passionate about drawing women. So I reached out to her. Um, we jumped on a Zoom. We had a wonderful conversation. She said to me that she gets around um, six to seven messages a day for people wanting her to design their wow. NFT art. And she just said, I love your mission. I really align with with you and what you want to do. And and she said, yes. And I was like, right, we found our artist. So if if someone's out there and they want to find, you know, their their artist, then I think you've really got to have, you know, that sort of uh, connection. You've got to get them on board with the mission. Um, but if you're an artist yourself and you want to get into NFTs and things, then you know, again, it's it's something that obviously you can you can teach yourself. It, there's it it's I think we complicate things, but actually, if you did a few hours of research and watch some things, I think you'd be you'd understand what to do pretty quickly but that that's how that relationship came about it's just literally having a conversation explaining my mission and like I said she aligned with it and she was like I'm in like it sounds amazing and I really want to be a part of this so um so yeah that's kind of how how that happened but um yeah it's a really exciting time for artists and it's definitely going to be a needed skill so my advice is just do research be curious and and think about how you could really offer your services to somebody as well you know if you're an artist and you think to, you think to yourself you know oh you know that would I would really love to work for for that company or you know I really love to align myself with that person reach out to them because you know they might be thinking about doing a project of their own there's no harm right so yeah be 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 productive just look look at things and, and read things and immerse yourself in this world because there's so many opportunities for people if they you know, if they want to to go down that path. Yeah, I'm curious for the for the artist that's being commissioned, they do get the royalties ongoing, but are there a number of different ways that artists are engaged in this process? We, you know, you pay a one-off fee or is it 
do you, are you able to elaborate on that? Maybe you don't have to share your exact No, absolutely. Scenario, we, 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 we've paid Angela for the art and we've mm. also given her ongoing royalties. That was mm. something that was really important to me. Again, being a woman empowerment business, I was not going to just be like, there's, there's your money, see you later. Like I want her to be rewarded ongoing for her hard work as every single artist deserves. So, you know, I, I would really, if I was an, if I was an artist, I would want to be paid up front for my time. And then on the back end, I would want to have royalties because I think that's important. You mm -hmm. know, I think know your worth and, you know, there's, there's not many, I would say, you know, like, artists out there at the moment that are really sort of in this space so she she could have like I said she gets seven messages a day why mm. why why work with me and I think it's just we, we bonded there was this authentic that I was being authentic I was you know just having a conversation so definitely as an artist I think you you want to get those royalties because this is this is the this is why this new technology is so amazing because you can do that now so you don't just need to be paid up front so if you believe in a project and you think oh this is really going to go somewhere then you should be absolutely paid for that 100 mm. ongoing so mm. yeah i would really if you're going to negotiate as an artist i would definitely say about ongoing royalties that's what we've done with angela and i think that's the fairest thing to do yeah so helpful thank you because I feel like I'm asking all the questions I want to know, but also the questions <laughs> they're all going to I have. love it. <laughs> well, Georgie, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you, get to know your story, your business story. Um, I feel like we've covered so much today <laughs> and I feel like I'm a pro at NFTs now Excellent. that I walk away from this conversation. So Thank you so much. Where can we find the Sisterhood Club? Mm. Yeah, where do we find out more about you and this project? I'll send you all the links, of course, so uh, you can post them below. But um, w.sisterhood.io is our website. Um, follow me on, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, Georgie L. Hubbard. I'm on Twitter, Sisterhood. So we're, we're on all social platforms. Uh, we have a podcast of our own as well, the Sisterhood Club podcast. So yeah, just come and say hi. Any questions that you have, please reach out. I'm, I'm, I'm on my DM, so happy to help where I can. And um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this conversation today. And I hope that your listeners got some, some, some valuable information about it. And hopefully it's not as confusing or scary as what people first thought, because honestly, I'm not a technical person. Um, I understand tech at a very basic level and I've managed to navigate my way through it. So uh, every single person listening to this can as well. Great. Thank you so much, Georgie. Thank you so much.